My guest from today built an impressive personal brand while most were looking in other directions. Born in Beijing, but raised in Oregon, Go Blazers, she's a Harvard alumni that quickly made the jump to executive positions for several years at Discovery and Newsgrid, or Welcome as it is currently known. In 2019, she joined Lightspeed, where she invested in growth stage consumer and enterprise businesses. When she's not skiing or climbing mountains, she can be found investing with Sam and Ramnick at FTX Ventures, where they have the dominant duty of allocating $2 billion across multiple verticals, including gaming, social, or fintech. Exactly today, she was announced as one of the five members of the Ape Foundation, the DAO behind Board Ape's Yacht Club. Amy, my fellow party horn ape, welcome to the State Work DAO Talks. Thanks so much for having me, Vlad. Amy, how is mountain climbing helping you when surfing through the crypto space? That's funny. Yeah, I've been um, doing that kind of on a free time for the last 10 years. Uh, and uh, I don't know, I feel like with mountain climbing, it's such a mental sport. Because um, it's, it's like, you know, you're just kind of sort of in the mountains suffering pretty much for like 12 hours at a time and, um, you know, per, per day. And uh, it, it's really good in terms of like, I found it very meditative. It kind of clears out the noise and you're able to just focus on what's ahead of you. And I, I, I use it as like a meditation sort of activity for just like the stresses of work, you know, in VC and venture and certainly in crypto, even more so in crypto, there's so much like volatility and so much noise um, that um, it's a good reminder to just, you know, it's still like putting one foot in front of you to get to the top. <laughs> So I may, I may somehow to 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 fuck the system. I, I cannot put myself in front, but I, I will find a way. So I will continue, and we will find a way around this. Uh, in a in a comment for Wall Street Journal, you said Sam does everything big. What's one thing you guys don't agree with when it comes to crypto? Oh man, it's hard to not agree with Sam on um, on a lot of things. I think I will say that like he was a little bit later to take to nfts um i think like you know just like a lot of people who are actually like, quite crypto native they don't understand like the appeal of like you know paying as much money as people do for a jpeg like you know um and you know at face value it doesn't make sense but i would say like does a piece of canvas on your wall like it doesn't make sense that that could cost like 50 million dollars like no it's literally just what do people value values in the eye of the beholder. And, um, and so like, I think last year we saw kind of, at least in January, the first wave of, um, or Q1 was like the first wave of NFT, um, enthusiasm, I would say. And, and then we saw another cycle, um, over the summer. And I guess like, you know, I started buying them and, um, checking out like the communities. And it really is in the communities. I can't highlight enough. For example, um, when you know the board Ape team um, announced like their, you know, first their acquisition like um, over the weekend, and then their, um, and then the DAO launch, and then the token launch. I mean, the strength of the community is incredible. I've personally never felt a stronger community than the board Ape one. Um, it's uh, you know people reaching out to me, people are engaging. Um, people were really welcoming, um, you know, because I've really just, um, I've admired this community from afar for the most part, like um, for a long time. Um, 
you know, the apes are very expensive. So, you know, I, unless you were like an old, earlier holder or, or just rich, like it's hard to participate. But now I think, you know, with the token launch, I think it's a lot more, um, a lot more people can. Anyway, so, so I, um, I think that like, um, I, I jumped on the NFT train earlier on. Um, and, uh, and so we're, we're bringing, we're bringing Sam over the full lovers too. But is he on board now? He's definitely, um, uh, I mean, Sam thinks about value loss, right? Like, or like kind of value creation. And so he was just like, never would have predicted how big NFTs was going to be. Like, you know, certainly wish that like FTX, we were earlier, like in terms of building tools and like, um, and the ecosystem in, in the space, um, you know, we're a bit late, but, um, you know, trying to, uh, to be full participant now. Speaking of which, we've seen people connecting SBF and the FTX team with almost, almost everything under the, the crypto sun. Can you shed some light on what's the relationship between Alameda, FTX, FTX Ventures, I don't know, Solana, whatever you feel like there is some kind of like confusion there? Yeah, the reality is all four of those things that you just mentioned are totally separate like entities and companies. So there's FTX and, you know, uh, which is the, the exchange, the wallet, the payments, um, you know, arm, NFT marketplace, et cetera. And, um, and, you know, FTX has a number of, um, has a large number of investors like Paradigm and Sequoia, Multicoin and others that have been really, really amazing partners for us. Um, you know, Tomo Bravo. Um, and then there is Alameda Research, which um, Sam had started with um, you know a number of friends and traders uh, a couple of years before FTX, uh, and you know today it's operating separately as one of the largest crypto hedge funds in the world and market makers, uh, and uh, and so they're they're a close partner, um, but you know they are actually like I think sometimes like not even in our top ten like you know customers like on the platform they actually trade with like all the exchanges. Um, and they're fully independent um, hedge fund. FTX Ventures is also um, entirely separate. Um, the company FTX balance sheet is not invested in FTX Ventures. Actually, it's um, 100% Sam. And mm -hmm. um, we're totally separate. We don't have any external LPs. And we set it up that way so that we can move very quickly, that we can invest in you know, the teams that we want, um, that you know, we don't need the overhead of things like... Um, investment committee and all these things yeah, that, yeah you know funds naturally need when they have um, external lps uh we can just move faster um and uh and then lastly solana you know we um that is like you know completely separate like foundation and um and company uh we're very good friends with them uh you know love Tolly and raj and colleen and uh, all those guys over there um but yeah they're uh, at this point you know both the venture fund and also ftx are cross-chain um, but also like, you know, totally the Solana team also are very, like, very collaborative, you know, with the whole like crypto community. And we're so early that everyone's like supporting each other. Now that we have this one clear, in a recent podcast, you said that you guys want to help Web2 companies to enter into the Web3 space. And I'm curious to know, how do you explain Web3 culture to a company which has already won in the world? let's say, old way of doing things? Yeah, it's interesting. It depends on the category, I would say. Um, like in their every, all the large incumbents in like traditional industries, like 
media, entertainment, gaming, financial services are looking at Web3, the phenomenon of Web3 with a mix of like fascination, um, but also I would say concern um, because, you know, um, a lot of these companies have survived. Any company that's been around for like 10, 20, 30 plus years um, have essentially reinvented themselves multiple times, right? Like um, reinvented themselves as ways of technology have taken a hold. And, um, and uh, because, you know, technology waves happen quickly and actually it's accelerating. And so um, they see what's happening in crypto and Web3 and they're like, this is probably another wave and we need to be on this train in order to survive the next wave of technology transformation. Um, but I think this time the culture is very different. Um, although I think in gaming, um, people who've been in the gaming industry for a long time remember what it felt like when mobile gaming was taking off, taking off like some, some years ago when they're like, you know, so much skepticism, like um, executives in the boardroom being like, this is not legitimate, like free to play is not legitimate. And then like some studios just embracing that um, and others left behind. And they've had to like make large acquisitions in the space in order to acquire that DNA of um, free to play and, and mobile, which is a very different DNA than, um, than AAA, I would say. And so the same thing, but even more so in Web3, like this bottoms up, you know, community led um, power in the hands of community, um, you know, sort of paradigm is just so different from before. Like just take gaming, for example, gaming is like very top down traditionally, like, you know, game developers and designers are like worshipped and they unilaterally make decisions on what um, and what to do. And like gamers are... Um, it's interesting because like gamer communities are like very, very passionate about their space and what they're creating in it. And the best, if you see like the best games in the world have tons of like, you know, user created um, content and culture. And so like gaming companies understand how fragile um, that can be. And so like, I think they do understand what a Web3 community might look like and feel like. Um, but some of the incumbents have sort of been, like resting the laurels of like multi-billion dollar franchises that they have um, created uh, years ago. And, and so like, you know, creating something new from Web3 is something that they're like learning again. Before going uh, to the gaming space, because interesting enough, we asked the community, like, what should I ask you? And I've seen like from the questions they, they, were, they asked, you are seen like a very gaming focused person. So, uh, but we will go, uh, we'll go to the gaming immediately. I want to touch the board apes a little bit, uh, the topic a little bit more and going to your bo board seat with the ape foundation, when did they contact you and was it a surprise? Oh, I mean, so, I, um, We've been, I would say, like, um, our FTX team and myself have been working with the Borde Yacht Club team for some number of months now. Mm. Um, mm. And, then, and then well before that, we were fans of the community. We actually had um, bought apes, like, you know, early, earlier, like, last year um, because, you know, we saw the strengths of this community. And so, um, you know, uh, um, actually, Alameda Research side, um, you know, has is actually probably, like, one of the largest collectors uh, and, and big fans of the project. And so, um, but, you know, I've been pretty quiet about it, I would say, but, and so like with, uh, very quiet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, 
And so then like, you know, um, we got to know the team and then we started just like, you know, helping out and um, getting to know them and um, trying to be helpful where we can, whether that is like making um, recommendations around uh, what, what we're seeing, like kind of sort of like in the best run DAOs in the world to like connecting them with parties that they were interested in um, getting connected with um, as they're thinking about different avenues to license the IP. Um, and so we built a really great relationship with like, like, you know, multiple people on their team. And, uh, and so, um, you know, when they asked if like, um, uh, I wanted to join, it was pretty organic. And, you know, I was obviously very, very honored because it's such a high profile and such an innovative um, project. And so um, we definitely, and, and, you know, I'm accepting this also on behalf of like FTX as well. And just, we, we see a lot of responsibility in that role. Do you think the, the, the NFT narrative is strong enough to push the Ape token in top 10 market cap? Because, you know, we've seen like layer one, the narrative of layer one, very popular, many uh, projects in, in, in top 10. Then we've seen the DeFi narrative coming and we've seen like these projects popping into top 10, top 20 market cap. Is like the NFT space strong enough to push the Ape token, which basically covers number one and number two in terms of the most popular uh, uh, NFT projects, uh, NFT NFT collections. Is is this narrative strong enough to push the Ape token there? Uh, I think potentially over time um, it could. Like, um, I mean, if you look at the top twenty you need retail volumes to get there, right? Um, it's, it's absolutely not just institutional. I, I do think that NFT projects are in by nature, mainstream and retail, um, you know, very uh, enthusiasts in the space. And so um, I think they could, like, I think, you know, still the, the, the project is still at the beginning of the journey um, and uh, or earlier on, right? And mm -hmm. so I think, you know, as they launch projects and hopefully some of them reach like mainstream appeal and success, um, then more and more people will, will hear about the project and, um, and, you know, if they find utility and with the, with the token, then it could be, if you look at the top 20 though, utility is not what's driving like top 20. It is definitely capturing like a flywheel, um, of like core retail interests, like, um, being a household name. But I think each of these, Mo I would say most of the top top twenty, um, or I can't think of any that um, that doesn't have a strong community. So I think the community actually precedes, um, you know, the the utility sure. of of these like popular tokens. After Yuga uh, acquired Punks and Mivids, uh, I exchanged some emails with Maria from Electric Capital about the meaning of such a move and what could be next for uh, Bored Apes. We pretty much agreed on how difficult it will be for the guys to put all these communities around the same table. But we were both amazed but, um, about the acquisition because number one buying number two happens usually in a winner-takes-all environment. You've seen like Facebook buy Instagram, for example. Is NFT such an environment uh, where uh, a winner will take uh, will take all. I personally don't think so. I I do agree with you that um, the NFT communities are quite distinct. Um, and I kind of going back to like you know just what I know. Um, if you look at you know Activision Blizzard, right? Like their 
player communities are very distinct. The loyalty isn't to Activision Blizzard. It's to the game. It's mm-hmm. like World of Warcraft or to like, you know, COD. Um, and so the, I think it will, um, it might evolve similarly um, uh, in terms of like, I mean, the loyalty isn't to Yuga Labs. It's to Borde Yacht Club or CryptoPunks, et cetera. And I think, you know, for them to be um, this super bold um, uh, move. And I think they did it because, um, you know, I think founders want different things. And so the founders of, you know, I think Larva Labs was looking for um, the next phase where their their projects, you know, projects they poured a lot of like love and, and passion into could be taken by a team that could take it to the next level. And um, and that's why they were willing to the transaction. There were a lot of other buyers around the table um, and um, or people who have been like long, you know, been wondering how to make this transaction work. And it's like meaningful that they chose the board eight um, and Yuka team to do that. Um, and, uh, and so I think that the, um, that the communities will be kept like, uh, will be distinct, but cool. Like if there are ways to like combine them, you know, like for interoperability, are there like movies, media, entertainment games in which like the communities can find common grounds? Like certainly I think a lot of people own both. It's like, you know, there's good overlap between the holders of the two. Um, you know, for example, we're, we, we hold like both. Um, and we thought it was super cool that they're now under one sort of roof. But I think the team has been very careful around like respecting that they're separate communities. Why, why do you think they didn't do the most obvious thing as in giving uh, the holders the IP rights for punks and mebits? I mean, it was um, that move... I think it was more around um, that involves a lot of legal and a lot, mm. you know, sort of, or, you know, organizational sort of like um, structure around, you know, figuring that out in a legal way. And again, you know, like the, the Yuga team um, just has that um, infrastructure. Something that actually, like I would say most NFT projects don't, a lot of them are started by um, artists, right? Artists, storytellers, et cetera, who um, know how to bring, like a um a collection to life but like taking to the next step and turning into a business it's a very different skill set and so i don't think it's it wasn't because like they didn't believe in the ethos of it it was that you know it's not just about turning that on um there's a lot more to it you know speaking of gaming i know everyone asks what's the next x infinity my question is what's one game which will um innovate on top of Axie's initial steps. Yeah, I mean, Axie obviously trailblazed last year. They brought Web3 games, which has been around for a couple of years, but nobody really participated and knew about it until Axie really brought them to the forefront last year. And um, and now, like, there's not a single gaming developer, that game developer, who isn't thinking about it and isn't, like, thinking about how to innovate or is doing so and building games in the space now. Um, I think that, um, play game you know, play to earn, um, you know, we're going to see so much more innovation in that space. And, and like, it's, it's pretty exciting. Cause like, you know, our team, we're talking with, um, most of the publishers in this space, um, of some size. And some people are doing like really cool, innovative things. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, certainly, there's people, teams that are innovating in every single genre. There's like, for example, some of the most experienced like MMO operators in the world are thinking mm-hmm. about like, okay, we're building um, like kind of like a web three MMO game. 
Um, and here's like all of our thinking on the tokenomic design, which is just very advanced because they have like economists on staff. And, um, and so the thing is that because it takes some time to make games, we're in this period where a lot of these projects are not live, but I think in the second half of this year, some will start coming online, but then next year, you're really going to see a lot of these games live. Okay. So 2023 will be like on fire. I think that by the end of this year, we're going to be seeing a lot of experiments led by actually like probably Asian gaming companies for the most part, at least on the incumbent side. I mean, indie Web3 studios are popping up everywhere, but when it comes to like established game makers and um, I think like, you know, Korea is very much leading the charge. Um, yeah. it, it helps that the Korean um, population um, are very embracing, including gamers are very embracing of NFTs and, and blockchain. They have been for a long time. I mean, if you look at Nexon, um, one of the largest gaming companies in the world, um, they bought like, you know, Corbett um, and other, you know, sort of exchanges and, and other um, sort of companies in the crypto space, like years ago, like four years ago. I mean, they were like, OG, right? Like um, Asian companies are uh, very ahead. Uh, and so uh, I think that, you know, we're going to see the experiments and I think a lot of them will not work. That's totally fine. Oh, I mean, like that's basically, yeah. yeah. The price to and, pay. And, exactly. And I think there's going to be a handful of, of games and projects that um, this is outside of gaming too, who are going to find that blend of like utility fun and, um, and implementation of tokens and NFTs that's just going to work and have you know, be sustainable. You said in a recent podcast, play to earn is an user acquisition strategy. We've seen many people saying like, well, monetizing games made, made, uh, made those less interesting. What I don't understand here is how is it different from what it was until now? What makes the whole process different? The fact that players, uh, players can sell their token on an exchange seems like a pretty silly argument to me. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, there's a lot that people are saying that blockchain can do in gaming where it's like, actually, like gaming companies have been doing this for the last 10 years, um, yeah. including holding and also like, you know, trading digital assets. Um, I think there are a couple of things that it unlocks. Um, the first is just um, actual, this concept of digital asset ownership, right? Like, you know, um, I was talking to like, it was like CEOs of some of the biggest MMOs have said like, you know, like when they buy a ship or something in our game, um, I own that. Like, and like our company owns that ship. Like, even though this player is spending hundreds and hundreds of hours, like, you know, grinding, like, you know, resources to upgrade their ships and like take it to battle everything. But, and, and how cool would it be if they really owned it, you know, they can go and find liquidity for it and, and then pay for something else. And, and some of the gaming companies are trying to facilitate that by building their own auction houses and things like that. But, um, but I think the velocity of transactions is experience is pretty suboptimal across the board. And the majority of like any sort of digital items like trading is happening in the gray and black market. Um, yeah. in which like plenty of rug pulls being on, you don't really know whether you're going to get your item like by, you know, depositing like, um, gold or like, you know, in-game currency or real USD for to somewhere else. And so this, this just like actually formalizes, um, a whole part of a game economy that was around anyway, in a form factor that is like easier to feel safe about and, 
um, and participate in and also like opens up um, like it's funny because I was talking with a founder recently in Web3 Games and he was like, man, it's like um, introducing crypto into my game um, opens up a whole different user segment. Um, there's like a lot of people that are just finding the fun and grinding for NFTs that they are then like going and, and selling and that they find this fun. And, um, and it's like a new use case in, in my game. It's not just people running around like shooting, um, which is the predominant like way that people are having fun in his game. Um, but there's other ways to do so. And, and then there's people who are like combining and blending both. And so um, like, you know, generally I think a lot of us in the space feel that um, Web3 can both like deepen the gameplay experience when implemented correctly. And then also um, do things like allowing you to tie like, um, you know, ownership, but then also compensation incentives to um, like, for example, creators, right? Like let's take artists and games. Like you can make $50,000. You can create a skin that basically generates a billion dollars in revenue for a game, but you will still be paid like $50,000 by that game studio. So what if like you can actually tie like um, you get a small percentage of revenue for every NFT skin that's um, that's been sold. It's very, very easy to track that. I mean, you can track mm -hmm. that in a database as well, but this is even like e easier way to do so with with an NFT than like um, how cool is that? And the artist can actually like take part in the upside. What if like game developers can take part of that upside? Today, a game developer, a lot of them stay at a company because if they leave, they will no longer get... Um, you know, sort of like a royalty from like the game that they had created like five, eight years ago. But what if they can do that in perpetuity and you're um, tied to like the NFTs in that game or tokens in that game. And now you're free as a developer to go and make your next mm -hmm. project without worrying that you're giving up like financial upside. And there's a lot of different like creative ways that you can tie incentives to um, the, the world, um, to the Web3 world. Obviously, it's tricky because all of that um, the question is, well, does the token become a security if you do X, Y, Z? And um, that's like a definitely an, a framework that everyone is working through right now. Yeah, that opens the door to, to so many things. And uh, anyways, I spoke with, uh, with our mutual friend, with Pierce, about uh, YGG and the impact of such guilds, not only in gaming, but the impact they have on the crypto gaming uh, as a whole, uh, what's exciting about the role of uh, of the guilds uh, moving forward? Um, I think that guilds are really cool in, in, in the sense that, like, from a like um, vision perspective, they provide an onboarding ramp um, on the two sides of their marketplace. Essentially, um, players or people who didn't used to be players in emerging markets that have a way to make money. I don't, I, I'm, I'm like personally like less a believer of like full supplemental income. Like, um, but I think that like supplemental income, the, like as in um, they're able to still like make money from it in a way that's like um, safe and like they, they know they're guaranteed to, um, to make that is pretty awesome. Um, and so there's guilds like popping up in like Africa, across like Southeast Asia, LATAM. Yeah. And, um, and I think the future is pretty awesome. Although there just needs to be way more like, um, web3 games with like large audiences in order for guilds i think like really thrive um and have enough of a base of like players that are actually putting money into a game to sustain you know the scholars that they're then like bring on 
Um, and I think that's where it's like in the next 18 months, as more games are launching, we'll have more options. Otherwise, right now, it's like you're pretty much like your scholars are pretty much playing Axie Infinity. There just aren't any like there just aren't yet other games at that kind of scale um, mm-hmm. in, in crypto games. Um, and so I think right now, because like if you have if you imagine like the biggest guilds in the world still only have like low tens of thousands of players, they are like dwarfed by actual gaming communities of like millions tens of millions like in some games hundreds of millions of players and so yeah so it's still like very small like um and um but you can imagine if a guild actually had 10 million players at that point yeah you're like taste making you can basically divert your players to make like a game successful and um and that's why you know investors and a lot of people are like whoa this is really cool business model um but we're still early we're not there yet you know before the gaming narrative presented itself as the most probable king in 2022 there were voices who were arguing for DAOs as well do you invest in DAOs? and if yes what do you want to see uh from them in the future yeah i mean we are investors in the tokens launched by DAOs. um um, but in terms of DAOs, like, it's absolutely fascinating. So um, a bunch of us, like, on the venture scene went to Eat Denver, um, where, where, we subs- where we subsequently got COVID. But it's a separate note. And, um, and, but, like, at Eat the Denver. The price to pay, baby. Definitely. It was worth it. It was worth it. Um, and, uh, but at Eat Denver, one of the things that a few of us were just, like, noticing um, was that so many developers, it was like a very developer centric conference was so cool. Um, and so many of the developers were either like part of a DAO getting paid by one or like moonlighting and then getting paid by a DAO or like working for multiple DAOs. And, um, uh, and that is so cool because I think it definitely transforms what employment looks like in Web3 um, and the flexibility and I know that this trend has been going on for a while, but it was surprising to see how many people you run into at East Denver who um, were part of that ecosystem. And so um, I know for like, you know, for another friend and other friends, like it was like kind of a realization that this, the DAOs are becoming quite mainstream. I mean, most mm-hmm. of the blue chip projects in crypto um, are run like in a DAO style, right? Rather than centralized. Now getting DAOs to be governed well is a very difficult because um, there are a ton of work because you have a lot of voices around the table, well-meaning voices, but I mean, a lot of times people just like have different opinions. And if you're run like a centralized organization, somebody can be like, and now we're going to disagree and commit um, exactly. because I'm a CEO and I own the majority of this company and, um, or I own the, the most of this company and I founded this uh, company. And um, then you notice that like don't have that in a DAO. Um, and also it's like, you know, you could actually own a lot of the tokens and you can still sway the vote. But then, you know, if like the majority of the DAO members actually don't believe in like what's being decided on um, by a few, they'll go on Twitter and they'll go on Discord and voice their opinions and they can really impact. They, um, so like there's like this concept of activist investors in like equity and public equities. But now an equity investor can literally be somebody that owns two tokens because exactly. they have a very loud voice and a respected voice in your community. Um, and so I think it's like beautiful um, and democratic 
um, and very inclusive, but then the other hand can be very difficult for a project to get things done. And so um, for a lot of, um, uh, for a lot of, you know, so I think like how DAOs are governed is like a really challenging thing. You know, I think that um, um, Simon from like Index Co-op has done an incredible job there. Like Mango Marcus has done a really incredible job. Like Ave, like people have different approaches to it, but you can you can tell when like communities respect like the contributor core contributors on a team. And so I think with the um, with the ApeCoin DAO, like you know we have um, there's a we're on the council, but we have a lot to prove like to the community that you know we're going to be super involved. And then there's going to be naturally members of the community that will step up in like leadership roles that we're um, that and, and that's going to be kind of like shaped in less of a top down way, but more in terms of like organically, like who's participating and passionate and bring up really great ideas. And so like the beauty of it is we, we get to like see how it plays out and and be an active participant. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's like building nations all over again, like digital nations, because we still have to decide what are the rules that will govern our like community, how sh how you should behave in in the community in order to be accepted, um, who should vote, why, what are the things that we should vote on? Because probably not all the decisions should be based on a vote. Um, there are so many things related to these DAOs, and I think the only way to actually find our way uh, uh, it will be like to try you know to to try to innovate yeah think of something fail and then all the DAOs will learn from your fail and at least you know something that doesn't work yeah i actually think there could be more like um communication cross DAO because like for example yeah um, i fully agree i fully agree yeah well, one of the things that like the um the ape coin, you know, sort of contributors were doing. Um, and I was also, we were also, you know, how we do is talking to a bunch of DAO, different DAOs and like what's worked, what's not worked. Like, what are some insights and how do we like collect them? I mean, just from my, like, I had like a number of conversations with, with DAOs um, and doing research around like, you know, what are some best practices? There are some things that like popped out um, uh, that I can highlight here. One is that, people generally said like managing a DAO is significantly harder and takes more work than managing a company for all the things, all the reasons I just mentioned. And I so can therefore, confirm for, that. I can confirm that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're running one yourself. Like, um, and, um, and so burnout is real. Like people are working. Like I, I heard people say like, I've never worked more hours than when I was like a core contributing member to this DAO. And I was like getting paid way less than when I was working at a web two. I feel anyway. his pain. I feel his pain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he was like, <laughs> And so one of the things that they decided to um, to introduce was like the concept of like a board, right? And the concept mm -hmm. of like terms. So for example, like, you know, um, even on the Ape Council, there's like six months terms. Um, and, uh, and so you need a long enough period of time where there's like some continuity, but people burn out or demonstrate that they're not super involved. And so the community is a way to like kind of put in somebody else who does have the time, energy, um, and passion for a project. And then like, I'm a huge believer in like paid core contributing members. Cause this is like full-time yeah. job and, um, and also like, you know, part-time contributing members and that have, and then figuring out, <clears throat> this is one thing that everyone said, decision-making what is voted on by the community 
like from a governance perspective and what yeah. can the core contributing members just like execute on without a vote on a day-to-day -day basis because there's like operation day-to-day operations that just need to be run smoothly um and then there's like you know decisions around the future strat like strategic um directions that a DAO is making that should be opened up to the community and then how do you um and then basically just like very clearly communicating where those lines are is pretty important exactly so amy we're getting close to to the end of this one i have like just a few more questions um three how do you see the binance ftx coinbase were three years from now um it's a good question <laughs> um i think that like you know um right now the pie is growing quite frankly and three years from now i think that's your question like that will still be the case like we will still be onboarding users into crypto right and so um you know right now like institutional customers are using multiple exchanges and mm -hmm. they always will there's not going to be one exchange that wins everything although i will say you know like finance has something like this is over 50 percent market share in the market right now so they're they're big but they're much bigger than us still um although you know we're hoping to like bridge the gap a bit um <laughs> and so what's uh, what's happening actually is that like um you'll, you'll see what happened in the last 12 months is there's there's actually already been like one wave of consolidation so that you know a lot of the trading is happening on like five like the top five exchanges right now yeah um because naturally liquidity is a moat right and so if um if you're like a day trader and you go on like you know ftx or binance and you can get a much better rate than at um, a smaller exchange and you're going to do that you're going to be driven by what's good for your business um and uh and so then that flywheels and it's very difficult to unseat like a top exchange um and because of that but um you know like who knows like where regulatory um uh regulations are going to net out and also like um on a market by market basis there's a lot it's difficult for foreign exchange to enter a market you know the mm -hmm. fiat crypto on-ramp is one of the most regulated parts of this whole like value chain and so that benefits local exchanges and so because of that i think in some of the largest markets will always favor a local large exchange and so that's another reason why like um you know but uh, amongst the three i mean coinbase is very very like retail dominant like exchange right now i think that you know we're hoping to get more um bring on more retail users and that's why we're doing a lot of sponsorships in that area and rolling out features that are a lot more like consumer friendly because quite frankly like institutions and day traders are looking for a different feature set um and so we're building more like retail um features and um and uh and so hopefully we'll play more in the retail space um but i mean what, what you'll see in three years is that all three exchanges will be bigger this was not among the th the three questions i wanted to ask but do you think ftx ad was better than coinbase ad at the super bowl <laughs> i mean i think i laughed harder at ours um I well I obviously there wasn't anything to, to laugh at the coinbase right <laughs> <laughs> larry is hilarious <laughs> Um, and it's like pretty, pretty awesome that we were able to do the, uh, the ad. Um, I'm glad that it was funny. <laughs> uh, while you are an active part of this crypto ride, do you ever feel that history is being written before your eyes? Absolutely. It's one of the reasons why I went to FTX because I want to be part of that. And almost everything that we do, whether it is like, um, helping fintech companies get into crypto or 
helping gaming companies like explore it and um and nft projects i think um i see ourselves at ftx as an active participant in creating the successes of tomorrow like you know we will be, i'll be the first we'll be the first to say like hey like if you launch your project in this way it will not it will like we we are not bullish and this will be successful and we want you to succeed like you know large publicly traded company and so like you know <laughs> we're really brutally honest about that because we don't want these companies and parties um sometimes competitors to be like to fail um and uh um because that's bad for the entire crypto um ecosystem and so um we see an active role in participating creating successes in this ecosystem, even if they're directly competitive against us. Cool. So here we are with the last question. Let's imagine it's 2009 and you are Satoshi, but you know everything that we learned in the meantime. What would you do? Uh, what would you do differently to change the course of history? Um. Hmm. I would never presume to put myself anywhere near those shoes, but um. I don't know. I, I quite frankly, I I feel like um, crypto is bigger than what most people I think in the industry could have imagined back in two thousand this two thousand nine right two thousand nine timeframe. Um, I think there were like ups and downs, and um, people thought that there would be more regulatory clarity far earlier, and um, so that was slower. People thought that large institutional adoption of crypto would happen much earlier. That has not happened. Um, but then, like, people would never have thought um, that NFTs would capture, like, the imagination by such a storm that has happened. Like, it's like, I think what a lot of people in the community has said is that, like, you know, the pace of adoption of different parts of crypto has either been, like, far longer than what people thought or yeah. far shorter. And that's kind of like the excitement of being in the space is the unpredictability of it. I think all of us in the space, like, really truly believe that it's going to touch most of technology in people's lives like in a 20 30 year time frame um but um just kind of like mobile has you know um as like a tech paradigm shift and cloud has um but cloud's been around for let's say like 10 plus years and um mm -hmm. and still like you know fortune 500 companies will be shifting their data centers to the cloud for the next like two three decades and we're yeah. like so early in crypto still and so um yeah i think like i wouldn't change anything I, i'm not sure that people would change anything from 09 like being a part of this journey i think everyone would have like bought more bitcoin if they could have before we wrap this one tell everyone where they can find you yeah i can find me on um twitter um you know dms are open um and so i you know definitely try to like engage and, and talk to people and uh and you know people have questions a lot of people ask me on twitter like um on dms like how do they get into the space for the first time and um and so i mean the reality is that DAOs are so friendly to newcomers right like you can literally yeah. everything's public you can literally just look at the history of that DAO and projects like you know governance proposals everything learn a lot about it and then start contributing and then eventually could become a core contributing member is actually so much more democratic and open than um, the traditional tech world. And so, um, and so I think like the first step is to just like start spending time in this space. Amy, thanks a lot. This was a fun one. Awesome, Vlad. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, Cheers. Really enjoyed it. Bye.